It's a high privilege to be entrusted with the morning's message by Pastor Hawkins. I question his wisdom, but not his grace. This morning, I want to answer the burning question. Does God wear a mask? (laughs) The answer, in case you don't want to stay for this sermon, is no. All of Scripture, when written, was set in a context. Things were not said haphazardly, or as it were, men were not set aside by the power of the Spirit and mechanically wrote. They wrote in a context. I'm asking you to keep that in mind this morning as I speak, for the message shows that the context of Scripture is really critical. Psalm 101 reads as follows. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land, I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Psalm 101. The psalm begins as a song to the Lord. David relates so closely to God that he sees no difference between the way he lives and the way God is. But a cursory look at the passage seems to indicate King David is telling God how he judges others based upon his own integrity and character. He seems to be assuring God that his heart is good and true. If you look at the I wills and the personal pronouns. But part of the psalm catches me off guard. It's verse 2, when he says, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I thought, 
This must be a prayer of David for God to help him. David wants to give careful attention to his conduct. But the very same verb translated behave is used in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. And it indicates that David was already living a blameless life long before he became king. Quote, In everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. So long before David became king, he was already living a blameless life. So when David writes, when will you come to me? It doesn't quite ring true that the king was asking for divine intervention. So what was the reason for asking this question? And why is it placed here in verse 2? It's as though King David intended to write a psalm praising God's love and justice, but he had this question. It was a question he couldn't shake. Then one day, while I was reading H.C. Leupold on the Psalms, he made a connection for me between Psalm 101 and 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Here's what Leupold writes. Oh, when will you come to me? This statement says in effect that David uttered this when he almost despaired of ever having the ark of the Lord come to Jerusalem. It was the very symbol of God's presence among his people. For he exclaimed after the Azah incident, which had so shocked the whole nation, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? To David, the presence of the ark and the presence of the Lord were synonymous. So I went back to 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 9. And let me summarize that passage for you. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Azah because of his irreverent act 
Therefore, God struck him down. He died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Azah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Azah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? End of quote. David was angry with God, and David was afraid of God. How could a good God do that to his nephew? See, Uzzah and Ahio were his nephew. Abinadab was their father, and Abinadab was David's older brother. Here we have two questions which are quite alike. When will the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And when will you come to me? In Psalm 101. They're one and the same. It is not hard to see something was happening within David when he wrote Psalm 101. Similar situations come to us. Times when we cannot understand what God is doing. When we don't understand God, he still surely understands us. These training times are from God to serve as windows into our hearts. Our words, our actions, even our self-talk declares what is within us. Now we come to the big question nearly everyone has thought about, but not everyone has asked. If you are loving, all-knowing, and the all-powerful God, why did you let that happen? Why did you take Azah, my nephew's life, right there in front of my entire family? Right there within 30, with, with 30,000 of our best young men watching. Don't you know what you did to your own reputation? Not to mention mine. Or we may ask, why did my father die so early? My wife get cancer. Our company fold. Why did people turn against us? Why did my parents split, ruining our happy life? Why did Alzheimer's strike our home? Why was my wife taken so early? Why did my brother die in the armed forces? Why was my job eliminated? The questions are endless. Your mind and your heart can fill in your own personal circumstances. You may have not asked the question, 
but don't tell me the enemy hasn't helped you think of it. For me, I remember when the thought hit me about lifelong eczema. Maybe God isn't as powerful as I thought. Maybe he doesn't care as much as I've been told. Maybe he doesn't see me or know me. Maybe there isn't even a God. The very questions have the scent of brimstone about them as the enemy taunts us. With loving family and the help of our faithful God, most of us are able to work through those painful questions, but not everyone. King David did in Psalm 101, and like him, we do not know our own hearts. We may think so, but we really don't. King David had to face those questions. Jesus taught much on the subject of the human heart. In Mark 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Heart takes over 20 verses. I'm only going to read four of them, verse 15 and 21 to 23. He said, Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, It is what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he lists sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, All these evil things come from within, and that defiles a person. This message of Jesus is recorded again in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 to 20, making it emphatic. The passage makes it clear. It's not what happens to us that causes our defilement. It is not what comes into our lives that causes us trouble. It is not what we eat that is our problem. Might be good news for some of you. It is how my heart and my mind and my conscience react and respond to what enters my life that makes all the difference. When my painful events attached to some darkness in my human heart, then what happens may be very soul-disturbing. King David had an amazing record living blamelessly before people, but something was exposed by this event with Azah, which revealed a root of self-will and pride in David. God was bringing him to a place the easiest way he would come, just like he brings us. So often, that path is one which could have been revealed and remedied no other way but the way God brings us. 
by an irreverent event, using a new way to move the Ark of the Covenant, David chose his own way of doing things over God's way. It may seem a small subtlety, but not to God. It was David's self-will taking action. David wanted to do things David's way. Rather than allowing the priests of God to assign Levites to carry the ark untouched on their shoulders by using poles, staves, he called for a new ox cart. David himself was to blame, but we have no record of him confessing his sin, humbling his heart, or making restitution. The name of that location was not changed from Perez Uzzah. It served not only as a marker for Uzzah's death, but for David's pride. Do you have any markers for your pride? I have. I have one on my chin, which resulted when I refused to get out of the way of a boy who was riding toward me on his bike. The doctor was able to remedy that, but it took uh, stitches, actually clamps. I have others in my mind and others in my heart. In the coming days, King David would sleep with another man's wife and arrange the death of of her husband. And in so doing, he broke every I will of Psalm 101. Think of it. He was not the person he so wanted to be and thought he was. You see, the human heart is not nearly as good as it may appear. Jeremiah put it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Dear friends, we all have a heart problem. And the cure is found in that same chapter of Jeremiah 17. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. If you had asked David that morning when he was ready to move the ark, King David, do you trust God? He would have said, oh, yes, I trust God with all my heart. But David did not know his heart any better than we know ours. God is sifting us 
in order to expose idols of our own hearts. Do we secretly worship at the altar of a false god? Many of us have had and are having our idols exposed. A Trojan horse, a master of deceit, has breached the gates of the church. Have we forgotten that the nations are but a drop in the bucket? He can raise them up and he can put them down. Are we now publicly endorsing political positions as though mere pagan men and women have power greater than God? What place has politics of any stripe in the life of a person whose only goal is to be at one with Jesus Christ and the Father? The Savior and the Scriptures have spoken to this matter. We're to obey the laws of government to the degree it's possible, pay our taxes, pray for our leaders and for peace, vote if he calls us to run for office. Instead, we are building walls against each other against members of the body. We don't speak. We seethe with anger. We judge. We act as though we mistakenly think God is pleased with us. Stop. Stop. Only our true enemy stands by mocking us while he tears each of how he, we tear each other apart. The unity for which Christ fervently prayed is being shredded with the anger of our own lips. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own ways. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your body and strength to your bones. Proverbs 3. Look with me for just a moment again at Psalm 101. If you see that and you read through it this afternoon, you'll find 11 times David said, I will. And 11 or so times he used the personal pronoun, I, me, my. David was telling God, I'm not like you. I don't go indiscriminately killing good people. But God allows each one of us to come to the place where we must confront God's truth about our hearts. We must face what we do not understand about God, then come to grips with the deeper reality that we will agree with Him anyway. Because 
God is always right. I tried to teach my wife that for years, that I was always right, but it never worked. David was allowed to be led by his own foolishness into deep and troubling circumstances by the providence of God. Why? God does not want us to just look good, just behave perfectly. He does not want our voices to just sound pleasing. He does not want us to just write well. He does not want us to just think clearly, to just lead with integrity or strength. What God wants us to be is one with Him. One with Him. So, He must operate and expose our hearts by the light of His Spirit, taking truth like a scalpel to our sinful natures and cleansing us, and only then can we be spirit-empowered people. God's judgment of David's action was not harsh. If we think it was, we do not think rightly about sin or about God. There are many today who believe God is hiding from them or at least wearing a mask. God does not wear masks like we wear masks. It is true that he dwells in unapproachable light, but he sent his son to help us see who he really is. God is not hidden behind a mask to mislead or deceive us. That is not our God. We wear masks over our hearts We hide our inward selves. We want to appear a certain way before others. We even believe that God sees us as we see ourselves. Sometimes we're too free to assume that he will be just like we are when the Bible is there to show us that he is so entirely other than so utterly different from us. When he allows things to be written into our story, which we never would have allowed, we come to a crisis. Will we continue to follow this one who ends up being like we thought? Or will we try to remake him in our image? Or will we receive him on his own mystifying terms and receive grace to trust him when we cannot understand him. At the heart of our differences with God is our self-will. John 16, 23 says, just one sentence, in that day, you will ask me nothing. What was he saying? In that day, it's when the ascended Lord makes us one with the Father and the Son by the presence of the Spirit within us. In that day, we will be one with the Father and with Jesus Christ. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, and I and them, and they and me, so that we may be one, brought to complete unity by the Spirit, unity with the Father and the Son. Until we allow the resurrection life of Jesus to be exhibited in us, we question many things. Then after we draw near to him, we find our questions lose their urgency. Then they are gone. We don't seem to have any. God wants our total reliance to be on the resurrection life of Jesus in us, which brings us into complete unity and oneness with him. Are you living with the goal of oneness with the Lord? In that day, there may be any number of things still hidden from us and hidden from our understanding, but they will not come between us and God. In that day, you will ask me nothing. All your questions will be gone, not answered, gone. In that day, it's not going to be important to ask because the questions have dissolved into faith. Is your life about being one with Jesus and the Father and then caring for others? How is your heart? Are you one with him? Are there walls between you and him or others? Are you withholding your trust from him, from those you love? Is there anyone with whom you are unreconciled? We cannot be reconciled to God and be unreconciled with others who want to be reconciled. Allow the Spirit to unmask and study your heart and take you to a place where your goal is oneness with Jesus and the Father. And then even your questions will dissolve into trust. O surgeon of the souls of people, unmask our hearts and operate while we wait and worship. Amen.